Yo, yo. What up, what up? Welcome to the WTF Should I Do With My Life podcast. I am your host, Jacob Sokol, and I am honored that you're kicking it with us today. This podcast is a place where we look at how to create the life that we want, not just learn the information in our head, not just be inspired and feel like, oh my God, change is possible, but to actually deepen in our own experience of living, meaning it's not just information, but we step into transformation, how to live with a deeper sense of purpose, how to own what's in your heart, to hear the deeper desires that are there, and then to build the ability to be able to bring those desires to fruition out in the world through action, uh, through developing the parts of ourselves that are asking to be developed. So today's interview is with my homie, Steve Chandler, who I'm very excited to be bringing into the podcast. Um, Steve has been a coach of mine for two and a half years or something like that, and it just helped me immensely uh, in many different areas of life. Um, he's just a wise man, and I got to love that about Steve. Uh, he's also got a great heart. Uh, it's super fun to talk with. Um, so on today's interview, we're going to go into some of my favorite concepts that I've learned from my own personal coach over the last two years. And, uh, you know, basically we'll be looking at how do we get past the fear of who am I to do that thing that I really want to do, right? Who am I to get, who, who am I to do that thing that, that really matters? How do we get past that um, fear and, and deal with, you know, how do we trust that things are going to work out, right? So we look at that. We look at how to reinvent yourself, how to say, okay, well, this is where I was then or now. And, you know, what's, what does the next chapter or the next evolution of that look like? Um, how do we reinvent ourselves? We also talk about uh, Steve's upcoming project and uh, get him to share a little bit about why he decided to create that and just a bunch more goodness. So I'm, I'll limit the amount that I talk here and let us jump right in. Hope you enjoy. Let's do this. Steve, thank you so much for being here today. Well, Jacob, I'm honored and privileged to be a part of your amazing community and following. Yeah, well, um, you've been so influential in, in my journey over the last, well, I guess it's been two and a half years now, and helped evolve so many different parts of um, my capacity, whether it's in relationship to going after what it is that I really want, not what I think I can have, um, and being willing to step into that, or looking at um, my relationship with wealth creation and what was getting in the way of that for me. And uh, yeah, so you know, you've influenced my life deeply, and I'm happy to help spread the wisdom to everyone who's listening. Well, I admire what you do, and I know the influence you have on people. I see that all the time. So it's a mutual admiration relationship. Mm, yeah, and you know, to take that a step further, if you don't mind me singing your praise a little bit more. Uh, oh, I, yeah, take, take your time. <laughs> I, I really love having you as a role model for what life can be like in the later decades. And for me, you know, I'm... I'm the young age of, uh, the old age of 31 right now. And to see someone such as yourself, who's got a couple decades on me, who's showing up still so fully and following, you know, what excites you and 
not using some story of um, age or where you're supposed to be as a limitation for what's in your heart and what's in your soul that wants to come out. Um, that, yeah, something about that when I when I realized, oh man, Steve is a little bit older than I thought. It was, there's even more of an appreciation for you. So again, thanks for modeling that. Well, you're welcome. You know, it's it's more than decades. It's a couple of generations when you look at it. And and I'm happy to model that for you. Yeah. Yeah, right on. Well, I feel like since we've spoken so much, there's, you know, many insights that I'd love to uh, to pull into this interview. Um, but I'd actually like to start with just learning a little bit more about this project that you're creating this year. You've kind of wiped almost everything else off the calendar and focused yourself solely on this project, which I believe is referred to as Death Wish. Can you yes. t- tell us a little bit more about what, what that is? Well, you know, Death Wish is um, the title of a book, an audio project I'm doing about um, addiction and suicide. And and it's been a subject really close to my heart for years and years. And I've dropped little bits about it in my books. And I've talked about recovering from drugs and alcohol and things like that. And I've um, had suicide in my family and uh, among a couple of friends. And so, and I think people write about it in such grave, super dramatic tones that it becomes a taboo that people are, are um, it's the one thing they don't want to think about it. They're ashamed of it. They don't want to talk about it. So I thought, um, it, I, I've waited long enough to really write a book about my own addiction and um, other people's addiction and, and give people some hope. And and I want to get it out to treatment centers and rehab centers and prisons and addiction counselor offices and and just do my part and see if I can make a little bit of a difference and wake some people up to um, the hope that lies on the other side of addiction. People who recover um, have have this wonderful opportunity that they didn't even have before they became addicted. So. There's silver lining in everything in life, and even in addiction or suicidal ideation. Hmm. So tell me a bit more about the approach that you're taking, which here's something that this area is usually considered really um, heavy, and, and you know there's a certain tone that goes with this conversation of addiction and suicide. And you're saying, hold on, there's, there's another way that we can, we can approach this. Maybe you can kind of give us an insight as to what that would look like or or what that conversation sounds like. Yeah, it's funny because um, I've I've got over 30 years myself clean and sober. So I had not been going to anything like 12-step meetings or support groups. But I had a family member who um, decided to get clean and sober and I wanted to to support her in it, so I started going again to meetings with her. And it was really funny because I noticed that um, there's so much laughter in in recovery. And and if you're in this, if you're in a church and and you don't know what's going on in, in this meeting room, uh, and you're walking down the hall and you're hearing this laughter, you're going to think this is a group of comedians who are trying their jokes out on each other. <laughs> and um, so, so I I wonder why is there so much laughter when 
the subject of addiction and suicide and Philip Seymour Hoffman found with a needle in his arm and um, Robin Williams and Heath Ledger and all these people. It's such a grave, sad uh, thing, the way we talk about it to each other. But then, then behind closed doors, there's laughter. So I wanted to take what inspires the laughter and and put it out into the world so that people who think addiction is a dead-end street, they're really discouraged, they're depressed about it, they don't think they can quit, and they think that quitting is just, okay, that would be life without the one thing I can depend on. That's the best I can hope for. And, and it's not that at all. So I thought I'd take a wild shot at finding and demonstrating the, the joy behind recovery. Mm, yeah. And, and, and you know, Jacob, it's true for any kind of addiction. I, um, internet addiction, and, and I got a really great email from a friend who was talking about um, addiction to familiarity. And you sort of brought that up yourself, um, like when you talked about going after things you want versus just going after things you think you can do or you deserve to do or you're capable of doing. The difference between those two things. And and my friend said there there's this thing called addiction to familiarity where we don't we come addicted to, to our comfort zones and we don't try stuff for the pure fun of it. Mm. Yeah, one of my favorite concepts that I've I've got from you and then I've kind of adopted it and started to work my own teachings into it is what you call the ladder of consciousness. And I know that you usually demonstrate this with uh, visually with the board and, and uh, as you're presenting, but I'm hoping that maybe you can um, kind of unpack that a bit for people who are listening and, and then we could talk about how that ties into to this conversation as a whole. Yeah, you know, I draw a ladder and, um, and I show people they have different levels of consciousness, which they're aware of, and it exists in culture. People say, I was feeling really down, and people say, you lifted me up, I was higher than a kite. So it's in the language. We talk about it all the time. And then I draw on the ladder. At the very bottom, I put death, because if, if you've passed away, um, your your level of consciousness is, is as low as it can get after that. And, but then as you move up, there's fear. Fear's down at the bottom, and that's fight or flight, fear and anger. And when you're down the ladder um, and you've got fear, anger, worry, resentment, um, your, your creativity shuts down. And, that, and that's the thing people don't see is they try to handle their problems when they're down the ladder. So they think about a problem they have. And, and thinking about the problem makes them feel upset or worried. And then feeling upset or worried, they are at their least creative state. Their consciousness is low. It's been br brought down by these thoughts. Now, when they're up high on the ladder, which is what coaches do for people, coach sits across a person from a person and, and talks in such a way that shows them possibility and fun and brainstorming and imagination and then way up the ladder, you have love, creativity, spirit. And, and way up there, imagination, love, creativity, spirit, 
Um, that's where problems get solved. So the irony is, um, like, uh, this is what Einstein was talking about. You cannot solve a problem at the level at which it was created. And he meant created in your mind, in your thoughts. So if you're even thinking of it as a problem, you're not going to solve it. But if you see it as a project or a fun opportunity or something I can grow from and, and, and you go up the ladder, then, uh, then all kinds of ideas occur to you and problems get solved really fast because they're not problems anymore. Mm. Yeah, I love that. And then when I started to look at this more, I started to say, okay, well, let's look at our relationship to uncertainty when it comes to this ladder. So when we're in a state of fear, worry, or anger, how do we feel about uncertainty? We hate it. We want to get rid of it as immediately as possible to take immediate action to solve whatever situation we're in to have certainty. But when we're at the top of the ladder, when we feel creative, when we feel inspired, uncertainty is the birthplace of innovation, of change. It's amazing. That's where we get uh, the opportunity to play out our dreams into uncertainty. So just having the awareness of what is my state? Where am I right now? And then recognizing if it is lower on the ladder to instead of try to change your life to just change your state right just to to get back up the ladder just to reconnect to the joy within yourself or give yourself permission to be where you are and and then also um nurture yourself do the self-care stuff and then have the delayed uh patience to say i'll figure this out or i'll approach this opportunity or this challenge when i am uh when i'm feeling you know, more creative instead of needing to do it now. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And you know, we were designed as humans to be up the ladder. That's our natural state. And and the only reason we're ever down the ladder is because we're believing all these negative thoughts about how hard life is or how impossible this relationship looks or um but we're if you watch a two year old or a three year old, I watch my grandchildren and they um, they love life, and and they're using their imagination all the time, and they're laughing and running and jumping on things, and they're just um, consuming life. And then once in a while they crash, they get overtired, and they cry. But then they but they don't carry a resentment forward. They get angry, they cry, they take a nap, and boom, they're back up the ladder because that's our natural state. Mm. We were designed to be up there. But what happens with adults is they get all these negative beliefs of how people should be and how life ought to be and how I should be and I should have done that by now and I should, I should never procrastinate. And, I sh and, and the next thing you know, people are almost never up the ladder and it takes uh, some extraordinary circumstance to wake them up yeah. to their normal condition. Yeah, and, and to me, that's the middle of the ladder. So the, the top of the ladder is inspiration, love, creativity. The bottom of the ladder is fear, anger, worry, etc. The middle is the comfort zone. And so maybe that's the most dangerous place, which is, well, this is working enough for me right now so that there's not that impulse to change, um, but rather just remain stuck in their, their current situation. Yeah. Yeah. And you still... Someone who lives in the middle 
has to have a lot of negative beliefs in their system to keep them in the middle. Because if they didn't, they would rise to the top on their own. All they'd have to do is take a walk or take a, a bath or get up and uh, sing a song or, or do anything that got them out of their worried mind, and they'd rise right up to the top. Mm. So, so when I'm coaching somebody who's trying to navigate life from the middle, like I'll just be, I, I won't, I won't go out of my comfort zone. I won't try anything difficult. I'm going to try to have financial security and relationship security and looking for security everywhere. Um, they, they have to have all these negative beliefs about how unsafe and how life is to keep them in the middle. Otherwise, if they, if they didn't, they'd rise to the top on their own. They'd be full of joy. So what I want to do is find out what are those negative beliefs? How do you see life? What are you thinking? So for someone who's listening right now and saying, well, I wonder what my negative beliefs might be that keep me from living in the highest spirit that I can, what would be a way that they could start to identify and work with that? Well, I would find out how, what areas of life do you know better than God? Where do you have a better idea about what reality should be than reality is? Where, are you, where do you walk around thinking this should be different, this should be different than it is, reality ought to be, she never should have said that to me, he should be more respectful of me, and you've got all these shoulds where things should be different without realizing that things are the way they are, and they're all here for your amusement, they're not here to bother you, and, and the victim mindset you set up for yourself with all these judgmental shoulds about everything outside you is going to keep you in a really frightened, limited life. So I've heard it said that it's all here for our growth, right? Like this isn't, why, instead of why is this happening to me, the question is, well, how is this happening for me? But what I heard you say was this is all happening for our amusement, which takes a totally different spin on it uh, to a degree and, and um, instantly puts us up the ladder of, okay, well, where's the comedy in this? Exactly right. Yeah. And, and uh, if somebody's behaving in a way you don't approve of, um, buy popcorn and watch it like a movie. <laughs> That's great. So one of the other distinctions that I've found really helpful that I picked up from you, oftentimes you'll, when it comes to people changing their life, getting out of their comfort zone, doing something that might inspire them but simultaneously scare them, there's this notion that, notion that they need to trust that it's going to work out. And you say, well, you don't need to trust. You just need to test. Can, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is how people pull themselves down the ladder with their thinking. Um, they will hear about some idea. And, and maybe they'll learn that there's a way they can get clients if they just relax and, and are open and, and listen to the client and, and give them some of their time. And then they say to you, well, I guess I'll just have to trust that. And I say, no, you don't. Um, you don't have to trust it. See, when people have a list of things that they're trying to trust, th this is, this is um, bad time management because you're, you're putting things on your to-do list. Oh, yeah, I have to trust my girlfriend that she'll be faithful. And I have to trust that this new program 
I'm creating is going to bring me money. And I got to remember to trust that this. And so all of that's a waste of time. Uh, when you see, a, when you learn to swim, uh, you don't, I never trusted that the water would hold me up. I didn't need to. I just had to um, jump in and, and test it. When I learned to ride a bicycle, I didn't trust that this bicycle would fly along and, and never fall over. I did not trust it, but I tested it. You don't have to trust anything. In fact, I recommend trust no one, trust nothing. It's a waste of time, and it only gets you worked up and scared to try. I mean, those bold words, trust no one. Trust no one. Watch, just love them and be amused by them. <laughs> well, give me the distinction between uh, loving and being amused versus trusting. Maybe there's a, f a finer distinction we could pull out here because to me, it somehow it still feels like it's all in the same pool to a degree. Well, like you have a three-year-old. Let's say you have a three-year-old child and, and you're putting her to bed and um, she says, I want to stay up, Daddy. I want to stay up. My friends, and she's real tired. And you say, no, no, you're going to bed. I hate you, Daddy. I hate you. Now, does the parent start sobbing, dropping down to a knee, and, and, and say, I just have to trust that, that she won't still hate me tomorrow because it's my daughter? No. The parent just rolls their eyes and is kind of chuckles and says, you know what? Uh, I know it feels that way, but you're still going to bed. And the parent puts the child in bed and, uh, and doesn't give it another thought. So the parent is amused by the child. The parent loves the child. And, and that's that. But so, so that's what I mean by you don't have to trust. You don't have to take things seriously. You can, be, you can love and be amused by people. Mm -hmm. the, people have been put on this planet to amuse us and we don't see it. We think um, we, need, we need them to behave a certain way for us to be okay. And is there a, a distinction or a subtlety to being amused by people without um, dishonoring their experience? So if someone is having a really hard time with you and they're, let's say, or, or you know, they're going through something and the anger is, feels like the anger is coming in your direction, uh, is, is there, you know, a sweet art to balancing, okay, well, let me be amused by this, but still honor that, you know, this person is having a, a, what seems to be a difficult time. Yeah, yeah, there is. I'm glad you brought that up because, um, you know, a lot of people want you especially in the closer the relationship, the more often this happens. They want you to feel as upset as they are. Mm. So let's say they're upset with you and, and they, they get upset. They get even more upset because they see a little twinkle in your eye when they're uh, criticizing you and um, blaming you for things. And they see that, it, that you're not as upset as they are. Um, you, you can be very compassionate and you can relate to because everybody has these down feelings. So you can really nod your head and relate and really hear somebody when they talk and be very compassionate. So they realize, yeah, he gets what I'm feeling. He understands this. He's not dismissive. You know, he's not dismissing this. But so so 
you made a good point. I, I don't want to just be a jerk who laughs at everybody, but inside me, I don't have to go down the ladder to join them at the bottom of the ladder. Yeah. 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 There's, it's cool. There's like the holding a, a dual reality uh, simultaneously, which is one I can fully empathize with. Okay. This is your experience. And, and that's, you know, and I know that's not easy. And at the same time, I can have the larger perspective of, and this is all part of the cosmic workings. This is just the way it is. And let's find the joy in that. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, so one, uh, one thing that was tremendously helpful that I, I got from the first interview that we did, this so for everyone listening, this is the first interview that me and Steve have done uh, not related to coaching um, and, and just more generally uh, about life. And granted, it's all about life. Um, but when I interviewed you the first time, I, I, I asked you this question that I saw that got in my way a bit and that got in uh, many other um, people in my generation's way, which was, who am I to do that? Who am I to serve this person or to follow um, my heart and, and stand up for this cause that I believe in? Who am I? Uh, can you speak to that question of who am I? And we can play with it a bit for for anyone who's listening who wants to do meaningful work beyond the level that they're currently doing it, but here's that little voice inside. But who am I to do that? Am I actually ready? Well, how can we help them? Well, my, my short answer is you're not anybody other than what you make up about yourself. So who are you? There's nobody there. And, and you're all made up. And I've written books about this. Um, and Crazy Good, I talk about, there's a book called Crazy Good. Because what I found out is life, it, it can can not only just be good, but it can be crazy good. I mean, so good that it that it that it feels um, unwarranted, or oh my goodness, uh, um, something's really out of alignment for life to be this good. Hmm. Um, so, so when I wrote about that, what the the key thing in that is the question you ask. The more I think of myself as a permanent fixed personality. The more often I'll ask questions like, who am I to, to, to do this? Who am I to coach this person or to create a business for myself or to become one of the great teachers in the school system? Who am I? Well, the answer is, um, if you really want to be great, you'll drop that. You won't be anybody at all. You won't be a noun, a fixed, permanent thing. You'll be a verb. So rather than who am I to do this, I'm in I'm action. I'm a verb. I'm I'm the action I'm taking. I'm the questions I'm asking. I'm the devotion I'm giving. So it's like I'm asking, I'm giving, I'm taking action. And there's no who in that. There's just the action, the giving, the the it's the asking. It's like a great coach asks great questions and um and so if I'm loving someone, I am uh, I'm the loving. I'm not. I, I don't have to identify myself and list all my characteristics, because when you're really swept up in this, your characteristics don't mean anything, because you thought you were shy, you thought you were an introvert, but the next thing you know, you're approaching people and reaching out to them and and being really bold, and you don't know where that comes from. Well, you're, that's because you're in action. You're, you're a verb now, and you've dropped this obsession 
with this illusory, um, fake, permanent personality that you think you have and you think you have to maintain and you think you have to keep up with or impress people with. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And I remember there was also a hint it, that I got from from this conversation when we had it, which was that it was actually a selfish question for me to be asking. It, it was all ego-based. It was, who am I? M- my uh, identity. Uh, and, and I was focusing on, on me instead of on the service or the difference that I wanted to give and that I wanted yes. to make. And when, we, and when we focus on helping instead of trying to have a certain image of ourselves, but just getting into action, like you're saying, being the verb in, instead of the noun, um, that the opportunities start to open and that flow starts to exist that just gets things moving and, and into action. You're right. You're right. And, and you know, in all the good things in life, you, you're, um, that question, that sense of, of egoic self drops away. So let's say, you fall in love and you meet someone and, and you're hugging someone. Um, unless you're filled with self-doubt, you're not saying, who am I to be hugging this person? <laughs> you're, you're swept up in it. And it's just the love itself that you're swept up, the loving, you're swept up in loving someone. And um, you've dropped all concern with who you are. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's, it's, like... not, it's not an issue. It never was an issue. Yeah, I'm just imagining me me having that question. Who am I to feed the cat? Right? It's like right, the cat doesn't yeah, give a shit it. about who I am. The cat just wants to get fed. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And that's the world, right? That's like the people who are waiting because they're hungry or they're hurting or there's a desire or a need that they have that isn't fulfilled. And it's not, you know, at the end of the day, if you've got the water and they're thirsty and the water is actually good water, right? It's like, cool. Well, let's get it out there. It doesn't matter who you are doesn't it really doesn't yeah so you mentioned permanent personality which is another part of your your teachings and i think it coincides with reinventing yourself or actually fits right into it um maybe you can talk a little bit about the myth of permanent personality and and what that has to do with uh reinventing ourselves well you know people people who aren't loving their lives, who really aren't enjoying and feeling thrilled and fulfilled and really engaged in life, um, are thinking about themselves. And and, and they're thinking about um, this false sense of self, like this personality. Like, um, and, and they talk about themselves all the time. I have issues with this. I'm not that way. I'm not good at this. And so someone will... Um, call me and say, I, I'm this way, I'm that way, I'm not this way. And, and I can see that they, they are absolutely fascinated and addicted to a story about their pers- permanent personality, none of which is true, all of which could cha- will change in a heartbeat. So w- w- when there's a, an opportunity for true engagement with life, all that drops away. It's not really true. And, and people get so fascinated. They love finding some new permanent personality trait that will excuse all their behavior and will explain everything and, and tell the world and themselves why they're miserable and not doing anything. So one of the, one of the most popular things lately is to say, I'm an introvert. 
I found out I was an introvert. I just bought five books on what it's like to be an introvert. This explains everything. And they're just so happy to have found a permanent narrow category that they're trapped inside of that now tells the world why they didn't reach out and help somebody who was hurting. Well, how could how could an introvert reach out? The introverts don't do that, and I'm an introvert. So um, it, it's just um, it's a way to trap yourself inside a fictional version, a fictional made up idea of who you are, and and it, it's always false. People people can do whatever they want. They're not stuck with all these traits and characteristics. They have absolute freedom. They just don't see it. They would rather tell you about some permanent personality that they think they have. So when you're working with someone who is is in this situation, they're telling you, this is just the way I am, or this is the way things are, how, how do you help? If anyone who's listening to this can relate to that, what, what advice would you have for them to, to break out of that? Well, I, I'll give you an example. I had a a client who uh, I said, oh, "How can I help you?" And he said, "Well, I've got I've got a lot of problems with with my um, personality and my traits and my characteristics, my patterns and my issues." And I'm thinking, "Oh my goodness, this guy's just trapping himself." And I said, "So, well, give me an example of one of them." And he said, "Well, my biggest problem is I never finish anything." So so now he's living inside a story, like it's his Indian name, like like Native Americans have have names that sort of describe people like dances with wolves, and and so now in his mind he's never finishes anything. That's who he is. It, it's not just um, some case histories he can point to. That's who he is. That's his identity. Mm. So um, I say, well, um, now we were talking on the phone. I said, you never finish anything. And he said, right. And I said, so are you dressed right now? And he said, well, that's a strange question. And I said, no, I just answer my question. And he said, yeah. And I said, um, was there a point this morning where you started getting dressed? Yeah. Did you finish getting dressed? Well, yeah. Okay. So um, did you, gra- and, I, and I knew a little bit about his background. I said, did you graduate from high school? Yes. Okay, so you started high school and you finished high school. Do you know the dropout rate in in LA is 49% right now? So you're thinking that's not a big deal that I finished high school, but um you finished high school. So I I found five or six things in a row that he started and finished. And I said I'm a little confused here. You you're telling me you never finish anything. And the more I ask about you, the more I'm finding that you finish everything. Now, where does the truth lie? And he said, well, um, I've got a problem with my backyard. I promised my wife I would finish fixing it up, and I didn't, and she's mad at me. And so you immediately think that's because you never finish anything, when the truth is you have, you've chosen not to finish your backyard. And so we we created a project around finishing the backyard. And what I wanted him to drop was his story about himself, his focus on himself, his obsession with his own characteristics so he could get back into life and start doing things and enjoying himself. 
And so that's one example, Jacob, of how people um, create stories about themselves, a, le a negative leg legend, and then they believe it's permanent, and then they believe it is causative. It causes them to not do things. This thing they made up about themselves, I'm an introvert, therefore when the person across the street was in the house was on fire and she was crying for help, I would have gone over and pulled her out of the house, but I'm an introvert. <laughs> That's great. And then you also make a distinction between uh, systems and dreams. And so when you were working with this gentleman, instead of, I imagine instead of him saying, okay, well, I've got a dream that one day my backyard will be finished, that you quickly shifted that into, well, how can we create a system to create the result that you want instead of just dreaming that it'll happen one day? Yeah, because people over, they over dramatize everything. And they and and even uh, like, um, so so they think. Well, you know, it's um, if I could just have a great life. I've never thought that was possible because of my parents. They programmed me to think poorly of myself, and it's their fault. And and then they meet somebody who says, "Dream big! I'll teach you to dream big and go for it." So so now they now they get swept up in the drama of that. But the hidden message is. For you to have a life you love, you need to dream really big. I mean, for you, that would be a huge, big dream. That would be a highly dramatized, big dream. And, and, and what I want to help people see is, no, that, that's, that's the life you ought to have. That's the life that's easy to have. And, and you've made it hard. And so let's put a simple system in that has you have that life. Oh, my dream is to to write a book, but every time I start, I don't finish. And I, I've got all these, there's um, all these patterns in me and all these permanent fears in my person. And I said, hang on, knock, knock it off. Stop it. I won't hear that. Let's put a simple system for writing a book in for you. Um, same way you did your term paper, your theme paper in college. It isn't that complicated. Life isn't, you don't need to dream big to have a good life. Yeah, so it seems that when we use the these words dreaming big, as you're saying, we dramatize it to the point where we put distance between ourself and the thing instead yeah. of just being in action and just doing it. We create it into this big you know, he monster or hero or whatever, and instead of all that identifying of it as being something over there or outside of us, it's just like, hey, let's just do this. Yeah, exactly. Let's do it. Let's do it now. Uh, let, let's get into it right this moment, and, and let's have it be an ongoing project instead of some big distant dream out there in the non-existent future that I keep making up, like, you know, someday my prince will come. Yeah, got it. Well, I love it, Steve. Thank you for the wisdom as usual. Um, I, I, if people want to learn more about your work, I know that you've got some crazy good books. Crazy Good was your last book they could pick up. Um, I think we'll release this interview uh, in time. Are you doing um, a Reinventing Yourself uh, workshop in May? Is that right? Yeah, we're doing a Reinventing Yourself weekend. 
and reinventing yourself. Um, it's kind of a, a a funny title for it because it's really about reinventing yourself from a noun into a verb. Uh, so, because you invented yourself to begin with, and um, you invented this stuck thing, and you don't need to live that way. So, yeah, we're doing one of those in Colorado in May, and um, it's a it's a weekend about that, so it, that'll be fun. And and yeah, that's that's the next thing I have going on. That's the, and, and all my proceeds from that. Uh, go to the Death Wish project I'm doing because I'm finishing that project this year. I'm not taking on new clients or anything. Got it. And if people want to learn more about that, I think the URL is uh, reinventingyourselfweekend.com. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And Or they can go to my <laughs> yeah. my web, stevechandler.com and find out all about it. Okay, cool. I just pulled it up on my side. So you can just Google Reinventing Yourself Weekend. Uh, or go to reinventingyourself.com. Um, I've uh, had the pleasure of going to one of Steve's weekend events before, and I uh, I wasn't sure if I was at a comedy club or a personal development event. It's just quite the experience. I, I was talking to Nadia, my girlfriend, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, and I was telling her that we were doing this interview, and I was like, you know, uh, sweetheart, at some point in in your life, I have one. I have one wish for you: is that you get to experience Steve Chandler live, uh, because it just rocked my world. This is so uh, hilarious, really. But to the point where then it opened me up and lifted me up that ladder to see the other side of what was happening there, which was the wisdom and the opportunity to change my life. So, uh, highly suggest if you are. Uh, interested in uh, being inspired and, and getting into action to check that out. Um, anything else before we wrap up, Steve? Um, no, there, I'll, I'll end with one thing. I think the one of the wisest things ever said was in the Star Wars movies where they said, use the force. Um, because that that's it. That's the answer. Don't Don't try to do it on your own with your egoic self. And to unpack that just a drop, so use the force, does that mean to align ourselves with something larger? Yeah, to allow the life force or or if you're religious, um, God, or if you're spiritual, the um, spirit and the universe, allow that huge life force that wants to come through you where writers and musicians and artists say it felt like that song when I wrote it came through me, felt like I didn't write it myself. Well, that's right. But but we can do the dishes that way. And and we can do everything that way. So don't have to wait for a certain song to write. It's it's available for everything you do in life. Yeah. I love it, Steve. Uh thank you again and yeah, we'll talk soon. All right, Jacob. Thank you. Okay. Soul Sibling, thank you so much for rocking with us. I appreciate you, and I appreciate that you're using your time and your energy toward making yourself a better person and the world a better place. So if you'd like to keep in touch, I'd love it if you subscribe to the podcast, and I'm excited to deepen our relationship to get to know each other better over time and to see how I can help you solve meaningful challenges and create your most fulfilled life. We've got a great community over here, 
and we run retreats all over the world. We've got people who connect with each other and support each other and living the most fulfilled life. And what I'd suggest for your next step is to grab a copy of The 12 Things Happy People Do Differently. It's a scientific-based approach to happiness, and there's a lot of great wisdom out there, but this in particular is researched back from some of the world's leading positive psychologists in the world, and it's super grounded, super practical, how you could do these 12 things that happy people do differently and rock it. The article's been shared over 100,000 times on Facebook, and there's some magic in there. So in order to grab a copy of that, you can go to thankyoujacob.com. Sounds simple, and it is. Thankyoujacob.com, and uh, grab that immediately, and I will keep in touch through personal emails that I send out a couple times a month and all that goodness. So for now, sending you lots of love. Keep it real. Follow your heart, but bring your head. Peace.